you need to be writing again. And it just blew me away. I'm like, whoa, guys, whoa, 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 whoa. I have a family. I have, you know, a wife. I have a full-time job. I cannot be writing. I live in Silicon Valley, you know, where it's, the cost of living is, is off, the, off the charts, and so I can't be writing. I, I knew the economics of the publishing world enough to know that there's no way I could be writing. And one of them looked at me and, and paused for a second and goes, I think you need to not worry about that. And it was like the Holy Spirit speaking. I was like, I don't need to worry about that. I'm just going to, in a very real way, not just bend my mind towards trusting God. I'm going to put my whole family's finances in the hands of God, and I'm not going to worry about that, and I'm going to do that. Hey, welcome to the Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. St. Ignatius said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. This podcast is here to bring God glory through you becoming fully alive and you bearing much fruit or having powerful results in your life. I believe you can use your unique gifts and talents to change the world. If you listen to this show and read our blogs, you will be inspired to take your own journey of faith to become a man or woman who is fully alive, making an impact in the world around you. I interview people that I think are awesome that are doing that today to inspire and to challenge you. You can do the same. Let's get rolling. Today, I'm going to be letting you in on a conversation that I had with Justin Camp. Justin Camp is an author of the, his latest book, Invention, as well as an author of a popular men's devotional, Wire for Men. He's a co-founder of Gather Ministries that he co-founded with his wife, Jennifer, and he really became a fast friend in our conversation. The title of this show is called Divine Discontent. Sometimes we experience discontent and we really brush it off or push, push through it and not really stop to see, is this potentially from the Lord? The storyline that Justin has in his life is really the Lord guiding him and really creating divine discontent to move him from where he was in his career to what he is doing today. It was a great conversation. It is a two-part conversation, and next show we'll be talking about divine desire. I look forward to you meeting him, and let's get rolling. We're going to dig into um, your book. We're going to dig into Wire for Men, uh, but we're kind of going to do it through... Uh, something that we both have in common to some degree. So I'm in a technology field. You were in uh, a venture capitalist uh, field in Silicon Valley for many years and and transitioned out of that world into what you're doing today. And I kind of want to talk about, you know, that how that came to be. And um, so, yeah, why don't we just start there? Okay, yeah, so I'll go back even a little bit further than that. So um, after school, um, I was in New York City. My wife was going to, uh, to, to graduate school, and I was working there. And so I was working um, at a Wall Street law firm, um, and uh, very exciting, um, long hours. You know, uh, it was sort of, you know, the first time I had um, had a, you know, full-time, uh, you know, kind of intense job. And uh, everything we worked on was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, so super exciting. However, it was, it was the first time that I ever sort of noticed this kind of little bit of discontent. You know, on a Monday morning, um, I'd have to, you know, just sort of go, what, what is that? You know, what is that sadness? Now, if at the time it was so small, it was almost imperceptible, but I could identify it, um, but I just pushed it away. I just said, you know, look. This is what it's like to be a man, you know. I'm just gonna put my head down and and stay on this track, 
um, that uh, that I've you know that I started on. Um, we were only there a few years before uh, we made the decision to come out back to the West Coast. I grew out I grew up out here. Uh, all family was out here. Jennifer and I were thinking about having kids. Um, it was also kind of 98, 99, uh, the beginning of 2000, and so Silicon Valley was exploding back then. Many of my friends in New York would come, were leaving there. You know, they had grown up on the East Coast, and they were leaving there to come to Silicon Valley to start companies. And I felt like, man, I grew up in Silicon Valley. I need to be a part of this. And so Jennifer and I made the decision in uh, 2000 to come back to um, to the Bay Area. And, and then, yeah, I spent... Um, well, I'm still sitting on one board, and one of our funds is still is still um, active. So I spent uh, 17 years, no, 18 years, uh, doing that. You know, uh, you know, de- devoted to venture capital. But it was around 2013 that I started, uh, early 2013, that I started shifting my time, my you know, my business hours from from venture capital, and it was a very slow uh, transition because of the nature of. You know these funds and how um, you know I had responsibilities to the to the investors. So it's a very slow transition from uh, out of venture capital and into uh, into full time ministry. Um, so let so, me let me stop you there yeah, before you yeah, get ahead. too much further. Um, I want to talk about or have you comment on this nagging feeling. Yeah. This discontentment, because I think a lot of men, when I read, I, I saw this in your book, I mean, man, could I resonate? Yeah. And, and so, tell, so talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, um, again, I just sort of, I, I just, li- so, you know, culture will tell you um, everyone hates their job. You know, everyone <laughs> has a hard time getting up on a Monday morning. Um, and you just got to man up. I mean, that's sort of whether it's said explicitly, and it often is said explicitly to men, man up, or uh, whether it's said uh, implicitly, and it's often said implicitly, this is what it means to be a man. The message comes even stronger when you're married and you're now responsible for another person. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, she's responsible for you too. Um, but, uh, now, now you, you, you know, that, that message hits even harder and it, and then it doubles down again when you start having kids and, you know, you're the provider, it's all up to you, you know, you're alone. All these messages start really, really sinking in. And so those messages caused me to say, don't worry about the, that, that nagging, you know, kind of discontent discontentment, just ignore it, just keep going. And so, you know, in these quiet moments, you know, sitting on an airplane, you know, as we take off or, you know, these moments where you're sort of, where you, where you cannot, um, distract yourself with your phone, reading the news or, or, you know, watching something on TV in the evening or something like that. And those moments where you just can't, uh, distract yourself, where you're just there alone with yourself. That, that's when I would come face to face with this, with this discontentment and, and, and a question would arise. And, um, the discontent built very slowly, almost imperceptibly over the years until, you know, I'm in 10, 10 years into venture capital or something, and I'm drowning in discontent. Like, it's not something that only comes, you know, those questions don't only arise in those, in those in-between moments. They're present all the time, you know, when I'm about 10 years in. So this is, you know, 10, 2012, something like, you know, 2010, something like that. Um, and around that time, uh, you know, and, and when I'm 
drowning in discontent, unhappy with my job. My marriage is not in the place it can be because I am just, I'm just not, I, I am not alive as a man at that point. And so, so let me Jennifer talk, and I were, yeah. So th- there's this sense of re- resentment and obligation. It's sort of like this unsaid thing where it's like I feel obligated and I resent that I feel obligated, but I feel obligated and so we're just going to roll this way. And it kind of makes, I'll speak for myself, it made for me to be very surly. Like I was just pissed. (laughs) I was just like, I have no reason to be pissed. I make money, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I I am not well and, and I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. I don't ever. I don't even know. I don't even have a language to describe what I'm feeling, but it's not good. Yeah, exactly. And there was a ton of resentment. There was a ton of entitlement. There was a ton of I'm not. You know, um, you need to be acting in these ways. I need these things. You know, and and, and uh, it was a. I had a very selfish view towards uh, towards Jennifer, towards the world. Actually, I was extremely judgmental of everybody that I came in contact with. You know, and, and these are. These, this is not sort of like. You know, I'm not thinking about the big obvious ways, you know, because you get rid of those pretty quickly. You know, I mean, we're not all walking around just yelling at people and saying, you know, <laughs> maybe in traffic or whatever. But you but, do live in San Francisco. Didn't... They do that in San Francisco. They just yell <laughs> randomly at people. <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> but this is, I'm talking about the real subtle things, the very socially acceptable ways that men and women talk to each other, that human beings interact with each other in ways that are just very, very selfish, but socially acceptable. I was living that, you know, I was living that in a very, in a very real way. And so that does not make for a, for a healthy, thriving marriage. And, did and so you, Jennifer, did oh, you ahead. ever have the, did you ever have the sort of, well, look, I'm doing fine and I should be, con- did you ever kind of convince yourself to oh, yeah. content? Like there's no oh, reason I, I, like, okay. Absolutely. And I kept, I kept feeling like there's nothing wrong but something's wrong. I mean, that, that I feel like looking back, it's funny, Jennifer will still say to this day, I, I, I had no idea you were so discontented. I had no idea you were so unhappy. And I was saying, like, I didn't know. I didn't know either. I thought that was normal. I thought that's what it meant to be a man. If you're not full of fear, if you're not, and what I mean is if you're not worried, right, it's, it's responsible to worry. If you're the provider and you have kids and you have a wife, you better be worried about something. Or, you know, I would go on vacation and feel like, Oh my gosh, I have to be worried right now because I better be worried about something, you know, whether it's, you know, money coming in or where my kids are going to go to college. Because if I'm not worried about that, then I'm not doing something right. And how upside down that is. Jesus would never, ever in a million years agree with that. In fact, he stood most strongly against that and said, do not worry. Right. And so, so you're right. I was just, I was just drowning. As you can see, as you can hear, I was just drowning in discontent. And then, you know, I had these buddies who uh, had invited me to a men's group and this is for years. They were inviting me two or three years. They said, you need to come. And I was saying, Oh my gosh, my calendar's so full. Jennifer and I were in a couples group, a very good couples group. Um, and I can't do one more thing. I can't put one more thing on the calendar until I got, there was one January evening. It's funny. This uh, this men's group started at 5 p.m., which I can't even imagine these days. Getting you know, being able to <laughs> get a bunch of guys together at five seems so early, but we did. And it was a January evening, so it was dark. And I dragged myself over there and said, "Okay, God, I I need something." I walked in there, and these guys were using language that I'd never heard before. They were talking about pornography in a way that was 
just authentic and real confession. They were talking about alcohol use. They were talking about everything that I felt like, you know, our culture tells us to hide. And, um, and it scared me. I tell you, it scared me because I was sitting there going, wow, if I stay here, if I come back next week and the week after and the week after that, I'm going to have to do the same thing. And that is not the way that I've ever lived my life. You've you know, I was a classic sort of, you know, dismantle create an image. Exactly. Totally posing my whole life. Create this big image, you know, whether it's digitally on Facebook or, or, or you know, just, uh, you know, the house that we live in or whatever, you know, you know the vacations and the. And, and the way that I talk about things, it was all about this, you know, creating this image and then behind the scenes there was all this brokenness. Not, I did not have one friend who ever understood that discontent or even knew about it, right, until I walked in there that night and I said, this scares me, but there's so much life here that I can't ever stop coming. <laughs> this has to be part of my life, and I haven't. This is, that was, you know, probably, you know, 2010 or something, and I haven't. Now I, I lead one of the groups um you know we have about 40 guys that come every every uh tuesday and it just hasn't been you know it hasn't that that is a part of my life since then that is a great i don't think i've ever heard it that way where it's like this scares me but i need it and that that uh ambivalent feeling i think a lot of men and women i mean you get really close to god you get that kind of experience it's like yeah. it's good, but it's scary, <laughs> and it's both. And it's kind of <laughs> oh like... my gosh, C.S. C.S. Lewis talks about it. You know, I love that. I love that description in in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when they're trying to describe to these kids who don't know Aslan who he is, and they're like, "What? He's a lion? Are you kidding me? Like, should we be scared of him? You know? And is he safe?" And they're like, "No, he's not safe, but he's good." And that's what God's like, right? He's he's not safe. You're going to go, and I can, I can tell you some stories about just enormous purifying fire in my life, enormous pain. But I look back, and my choices to go into that fire, to step into it, and to say yes to him, those are the most proud moments of my life, right? So he's absolutely not safe, but he's good. And you can see that looking backwards. You know, mm. it's tough seeing from the, from the front end. Mm. So good. This podcast is great already. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so, so get us, okay, so I, I want to dig into that divine content, uh, discontentment, because I think a lot, yeah. of, lot of men feel that, and, um, and for the ladies that are listening, a lot of your men feel this, and, and they might not articulate it because of the fear of, you know, that it might uh, disrupt sort of this, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go quit everything, or what do you, what is, what's the plan, you know, and, and sometimes, yeah. and you don't know the plan. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. So, you know, these days I all I do is men's ministry and so um even so I know this is true for so many men and this was absolutely true for me back then. So I get into this men's group and God gets a little bit of hold of my heart. There's that sort of first love, you know, where you're like, Whoa, this father you know, this father loves me and this king is so good and I'm going to follow him everywhere. And you start and you, and you realize the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you, and it's sort of this first love. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. First thing that men do is, do you want me to move? And do you want me to quit my job? They ask that of God. And 98 percent of the time, maybe 99 percent of the time, God says, no, you know, you are where I want you to be. In fact, the best evidence that you are where you should be is that you're there because, by the way, I'm God. And, and I know you're there. And I had a hand in the fact that you are there. And so I asked that question immediately. Should I leave my job? Should I leave this area? You know, that kind of thing. And, 
and it, and it, and he was like, no, I, I you know, it's I, there's no audible voice, but I certainly got the sense through prayer, through my friends, you know, through my wife that we are we are where God wants us to be for this season, and so. So I was still in full-time, you know, venture capital. Um, these these friends of mine were were training me and showing me and teaching me how to live in the kingdom, which means live with some transparency. So I learned how to confess and how to repent and how to live in an authentic way, an authentic community. And and so that, so the men, other men, could know me all the way and still accept me and still know me. And through that. I was able to have some healing. They also led me into a time of identity. We just started saying, okay, you know, Scripture says that God had each of us in mind when he set the foundations of the earth. Okay, that's a lot of thinking and dreaming and singing about me personally, Justin. And so I just started asking him, what were you thinking about? Mm-hmm. What were you dreaming about? What did you have in mind when you knit me together? What did you put in me? You know, what did you, how did you prepare me? What did you think about, you know, and all that stuff? And not in the ways that I would have, could have ever imagined, not in the ways that I ever in a million years could have imagined, and not with the timing that I wanted. He started answering, you know, and it was, it was amazing. And so, so there was about a, you know, three-year time sort of preparation during which I was still doing full-time venture capital and really trying to live in that world with kingdom principles. Um, I sat on boards differently. I interacted with people differently. Um, but then at some point, uh, the discontent was still there, absolutely still there, but my heart was coming alive. And then, you know, one day through, you know, community and, and uh, through some prayer, I, he first dropped the seed of that, that um, I need to get back to writing. That's one thing that I skipped. I, 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 when I was in, in law school and then when I was working in New York, um, I, I wrote a book on, on venture capital and how to vet you know, companies. So you're you know, somebody who's looking at a company, here's sort of the framework you can use. And it was published in 2002, um, but I hadn't written anything for, you know, at that point going on 10 years. And so these men said, you need to be writing again. And it just blew me away. I'm like, whoa, guys, whoa, 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 whoa. I have a family. I have, you know, a wife. I have a full-time job. I cannot be writing. I live in Silicon Valley, you know, where it's, the cost of living is, is off, the, off the charts, and so I can't be writing. I, I knew the economics of the publishing world enough to know that there's no way I could be writing. And one of them looked at me and, and paused for a second and goes, I think you need to not worry about that. And it was like the Holy Spirit speaking. I was like, I don't need to worry about that. I'm just going to, in a very real way, not just bend my mind towards trusting God. I'm going to put my whole family's finances in the hands of God, and I'm not going to worry about that, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to write. In that moment, I mean, that was one of those things. This was not over a period of months or something. In that moment, I said, okay, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to to move full-time into writing, Um, and in a very real way. You know, because all of us talk about trusting trusting God, um, you know, trusting God with our families, trusting God with our finances. In that moment, it wasn't just an exercise in bending my mind towards trusting God. It was in a very real, practical way of taking all our family's finances and putting them in the hands of God because the decision was, you know, to, to, to write full-time and, and, and then to, you know, we didn't know this at the time, but to, to put together this nonprofit. Um, and so, you know, when, when I was now, in venture capital... Put, oh, put a ahead. pause on that. I know a lot of people that will make decisions, I being one of them, that take time. How did you have the courage and the bravery (laughs) 
at that moment, knowing it was the Lord to say, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. Great question. And that's an important point for, for anybody listening to this. I was so deep in discontent that when, he, when my friend said that, his name is CJ, when he said that, it felt like rescue. It didn't feel like courage. It felt like, it felt like God looking at me and saying, I have a place and a position for you in my kingdom just for you. Like, I've carved this out. That's what I dreamt about is this place and this position. Certain things that I made you to do. And so that's what it felt like. And I felt like my heart was like, yes, I need to do that. And I've been working in a place that was never meant for me. And in many ways, it was good. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, it's not that I'm not grateful for that time on Wall Street and that time on Sand Hill Road. You know, I got to invest in some amazing people doing some amazing things. I'm super grateful for it. And I think God has used that to, uh, as, as a foundation for the writing that I do now. I write in a very different voice than a pastor writes. And so I think it was all great preparation, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't what God dreamt about for me. And so, so that, so, you know, oftentimes people give me a lot of credit and say, Oh my gosh, you, you know, you made such a courageous decision. Yes. And no, you know, because I, my heart, my heart couldn't bear, I was having that. So, so just a little bit of background on that, on that time when my friend said that, I had hijacked my men's group and I said, guys, I need some help because I'm at the point where I have to make a decision about what's next. And I said, there are three opportunities here. I can raise another venture fund because it was long past time where I should have raised one. You know, in this sort of normal timing of things, that's what you do. You raise a fund, then you go invest it, and you raise another one. And they're all somewhat overlapping. And, uh, uh, you know, so that you can, you know, pay, pay salaries and pay rent and all that stuff. They have to be overlapping. And so um, it was way past time if I was, you know, going to continue on in this world that, uh, that I should have raised another fund. And, um, and, and I, so I said, I could do that. I could start a company because that's kind of what I knew. We had been involved with 40 something companies getting started. And I had a lot of opinions about how to do that, or I could go do something in ministry. And at that point, my wife and I had, had led some uh, short-term mission trips. And so my idea, when I said that, what I was thinking about when I said ministry was, uh, you know, go start an orphanage somewhere. And the reason I threw that one in, not knowing what I was talking about, really, the only reason I threw that last one in is because it was the only one that my heart could bear. I, I seriously was sitting there going, guys, like, here are the three options. And I didn't say this. I, I looked, I said, these are three viable options, but I couldn't bear raising another fund. That's why I delayed so long. Yeah. I couldn't bear going and starting a company. And so when that friend said, you need to be writing, it was like my heart goes, oh, if, if that could only be true. If I could do that, that would be amazing. And the cool thing was it, was, it was my good father, my father in heaven who loves me, who sings songs over me, who can't take his eyes off me, which I didn't know then, but I'm getting to know now how he feels about me and his outrageous love. It was him giving me a good gift. He just said, how about this? I know you're discontented. How about this? And I was, so, so, yes, courage a little bit but much more just rescue, you know, for me at that point. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and I'll, and I'll kind of highlight something in your book that I really appreciated, and maybe you can speak a little bit about this quickly, is the, the idea that an inventor has a purpose in mind for the invention. Right. And if God is the ultimate inventor, which you lay out beautifully uh, in your book, 
then there's an idea that there is a divine design. There is a design, a purpose, a, a way for a man or a woman to, to interact as what they were created to, to do and be about. Yeah, I, I really, I, I believe that, obviously. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that comes through in the book, you know, many times in many different ways. But I, I truly believe that, that, that he, he um, you know, that there are natural talents that he, that he builds into us, that there are spiritual gifts, which he has, which he has you know, sort of handpicked for us. And the way that those two work together is fascinating to me. I'm going to pause the conversation right there and pick it up next episode. See you then. Hey, you've reached the end of the podcast, and this is the part where I'm going to tell you some cool stuff. First off, go check out our website, thekindlingfire.com. There you can become a fire starter. I've got a Facebook Messenger community that is getting updates and uh, are able to subscribe to 30-Day Fire Starter Challenge or our Bible devotionals, and it's all through Facebook Messenger. So you got to go to the website and sign up. It says join the fire starters. That's the number one thing. Number two is I love music and I love worship music. And so I've created some great playlists on Spotify. If you use Spotify, just search the Kindling Fire and you'll find the playlist there and you can follow those. And lastly is on Instagram, I'm kicking off Firestarter Fridays. And so every Friday, I'm going to be posting uh, motivational videos. So if you are on Instagram, go follow us at the Kindling Fire and be sure to check us out every Friday. Okay, I think that's it. Be awesome.